Hi everyone, Alicia here. I wanted to take a second to announce the official release of the Humble Hoof Rehab Guide, which is a progress journal to track changes in hoof health, comfort, and soundness for your hoof rehab case. You can find the book at thehumblehoof.com shop. There are worldwide shipping options and podcast listeners get 10% off by using the code thehumblehoof at checkout. Thank you and I hope you find it useful. Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. Dr. Neil Volk is a board-certified veterinary surgeon with a special interest in podiatry and hoof care. He has been working on growing healthier hooves on horses for a few decades now. But what's even more interesting to me than his impressive vet background is the fact that he is a certified natural hoof care practitioner, and he incorporates a holistic approach to hoof care in his daily practice. He even teaches classes to veterinary students with this in mind. I reached out to him and asked if he would spend some time talking with me about hoof abscesses and how he approaches them in his work. So obviously, as an equine vet, you had to go through years and years of schooling. And I wanted to ask a little bit before we got into the main bulk of our interview. You know, now it seems that you've taken quite an interest in hoof care. And did you get a lot of that education in vet school? Or did you have to kind of pursue that after finishing your degree? Yeah, no, no, most of uh, 99.9% of what I know uh, about equine hoof care and podiatry and and all of that, I learned after graduation. Uh, unfortunately, you know, we're uh, in a program here in veterinary school. We've got four years to try to learn everything about all species. And there's just not time, for the most part, for, for us to, to delve very deeply into to anything. And uh, especially with uh, equine hoof care, you know, and equine uh, foot pathology and that sort of thing, it's not structured so that we can set aside a block of time to say, okay, now we're going to focus on equine hoof diseases. There are opportunities to spend some extra rotations two weeks at a time with like the farrier service, for example, and and you get a lot of uh, experience and and, uh, uh, education there. But very few people choose to do that, again, because there's so much we're trying to cram into these little brains in such a short period of time. So unfortunately, we don't get a lot of that uh, in the educational curriculum that, that exists today. Yeah. And so then how did you get into hoof care and where did you get that education? Well, I've always had an interest in, in equine hoof care. I've always had an interest in podiatry. And uh, fortunately for me, had an opportunity in 2004 to be uh, exposed to the idea of of barefoot trimming and natural hoof care and and that sort of thing uh, by hosting, for a client of mine, hosting a a Pete Ramey clinic at my uh, veterinary hospital. And that was kind of my introduction to natural hoof care. Before that point, most of what I I knew I'd learned from veterinarians with whom I'd worked and also from farriers uh, who I'd worked with, always been very fascinated with farriery and and have admired those professionals because of the talents and skills they have that obviously I didn't have coming out of vet school. I was kind of envious of that. But um, uh, most of it uh, began kind of organically. And then I pursued, and after 2004, pursued uh, barefoot hoof trimming, went through a course and certified and, and just immediately applied it to everyday practice and the podiatry and 
and, and foot issues that I was seeing on a daily basis in practice. And it worked. It worked beautifully. And so uh, it's it's kind of been my my favorite thing ever since then. I do quite a lot of it. That's awesome. Yeah. And it, it sounds like we're both pretty passionate about you know, similar things when it comes to hoof care. And something that always bothers me when I hear people talking about their horse's feet is when they say something like, oh, yeah, well, you know, my horse can't be barefoot because it has really soft soles or like, oh, it gets abscesses if it's barefoot or, you know, they they have all these reasons why their horses, you know, aren't comfortable. And so I was wondering if we could kind of tackle a conversation about abscessing. I've had people actually ask about what they can do if their horse has chronic abscesses or what causes them. And I thought that that would be a good, you know, topic to kind of ask you about. I do quite a lot of, of teaching to various and sundry barefoot uh, courses and, and interested audiences, put it that way. And I always address abscesses when I talk about pathology because they're so common and, and we, we just see them all the time. And so I think it's something that everybody, including horse owners, should know about. Right. Awesome. Well, why don't we get started with that? And, and, you know, maybe some people don't know what abscesses are. I hope that those who are listening to a hoof care podcast do. But um, how do you typically see abscesses present? And do you see something as the main cause of the ones that you see? Yeah. Okay. So um, usually, and I'll just go through this like, I'm talking to the veterinary students because I give them the same spiel when we talk about abscesses. More often than not, the clinical signs associated with an abscess are very acute onset, very rapid onset of significant lameness. And by significant, I mean uh, either the horse that's obviously uh, slightly lame at a walk to the horse that's non-weight-bearing. It just it doesn't want to put the foot on the ground. That's typically the history. And almost without exception, the phone call uh, or the phone conversation I have with the client prior to or before I go out and see the horse is, well, he was fine yesterday and today he's, he's, he's unable to walk on his right front or his left hand, whichever it is, more, more often in the front than the hind, but it occurs in both front and hind. Um, and uh, the first question I ask the client is, have you looked at the bottom of the foot? And they'll say, more often than not, a good owner anyway, will say, yes, I've looked at the bottom of the foot, I cleaned it out and there's nothing there. And I'm like, okay, if there's not a nail stuck in there, there's not another foreign body lodged in there, anything like that, then this is a subsolar abscess. This is a foot abscess until proven otherwise. And then as far as uh, working it up, once I see the horse, most of the time I do the same thing the owner has done, pick up the foot, clean it out, check it, make sure I don't have a a, a wire or a a nail or some other foreign body stuck in the foot, Uh, feel for the digital pulse. The digital pulse almost without exception in these horses is going to be very strong. It's going to be bounding, not fast, mind you, but very, very strong pulses. And that tells me that, okay, it may be an abscess, maybe something else. But what that does tell me is that uh, I've localized the source of lameness or the likely source of lameness in this animal to the hoof capsule based on that elevated bounding, booming digital pulse. And then uh, depending on the foot, depending on the horse, depending on a lot of different things, I may or may not put hoof testers on the horse. Most of the time, I don't need them. And usually I'll start just by holding the foot off the ground. I put it uh, in a comfortable place, either on my lap as a hind foot or between my thighs if it's a front foot. And I will apply pressure just with my thumbs all the way across the sole, all the way around the sole and over the frog, everything on the bottom of the foot. Very, very often with a subsolar abscess, they're painful enough that just thumb pressure will elicit a response from the horse. And if that's not the case, 
then I'll reach for the hoof testers. I never use the hoof testers first because very often you don't need them. And if you apply them first, then you may cause excruciating pain unnecessarily. So that's kind of a second thing. And I can use the hoof testers to gently squeeze um, and, and realize when I'm using hoof testers, one end of the pinchers is on the sole, the other end of the pinchers is on the hoof wall somewhere. So it's not specific for pain in the sole. It could be pain up the hoof wall, for example. So they're, they're not very specific, but they're helpful in kind of localizing where the most intense pain is in the hoof capsule. And then after that, uh, because I'm a trimmer as well, uh, I'll go ahead, if the hoof hasn't been recently trimmed, I'll go ahead and do a trim on it. It's very often that will, will allow me to identify where the problem is. Causes of subsolar abscesses. There are three primary causes that are responsible for 99.99% of the garden variety subsolar abscesses or hoof abscesses that we see in, in the horse. Number one, foremost, the, the most common is some kind of abnormality uh, in the connectivity of the white line. Um, there's going to be a tract, more often than not, a T-R-A-C-T, a tract. And it looks like a dirt spot. After I take the hoof and I trim it and I run the rasp across it and I've got a good visualization of the white line and the bars because the bars are just a forward continuation of the white line, I'll look in the area where the animal is most sensitive to either thumb pressure or hoof testers. I will look there for a dark spot, a dirt spot, if you will. And that's just the opening of a tract. Most subsolar abscesses, in my experience, gain access or allow bacteria, because that's the culprit of the subsolar abscess, allow bacteria to gain access to the interior aspect of the hoof capsule through a defect or uh, a not-so-normal uh, connectivity between the, uh, the dermal and epidermal lamella in the white line. You'll very often see a dark spot. And when I see that, uh, that's where I'll start to, to, to follow that track, start to dig down. So that's the number one cause is entry through the white line or the bars. More often the white line, but it can also occur through the bars at the exact same way. The second most likely cause is a puncture wound through the sole. Not as common, not nearly as common as the white line. But if a horse steps on a sharp object and pierces the sole and then comes off of it, and very often when you look at the sole before you clean it up or trim it or exfoliate the dead so you won't notice anything but oftentimes if it is a puncture wound through the sole when you clean that sole up you'll see a dark spot uh, in the area where the horse is most sensitive and that's also probably a tract that's where uh, bacteria and debris were injected if you will through the sole and then the third most common cause and, and this is not very common at all but I do see it occasionally is what we call a stone laceration so instead of a, a, a puncture the horse steps on something hard, presumably a stone, uh, could also be a, a piece of, uh, uh, of metals on the ground or something like that, a stake sticking out of the ground. And the horse steps on that, usually at a canter or a trot. And when it, it does, it causes the sole literally to fracture. The sole will fracture and open up as the horse is weight bearing. And then when they pull their foot off of it, the sole will snap back. And with those, usually the history is, the same as an abscess. Sometimes an owner will say, well, I saw him trotting through the field and all of a sudden he pulled up lame, took three or four really bad strides, but then was fine. Three days later, that horse presents as an abscess. And what's happened is it takes about 72 hours on average or so for the bacteria that have had access to the interior of the hoof capsule to start causing a problem, to start forming an abscess. And that's on the part of the bacteria and also the body's response to the bacteria in a place where they shouldn't be. That's what actually causes the abscess. 
in most cases. So I'm either looking for a dark spot in the white line or the bars in the area of, of sensitivity with pressure, or I'm looking for um, a, a dark spot or a linear defect in the soul in the area of, of, uh, of sensitivity to pressure. Yeah. And so, you know, if you come to a horse and you diagnose an abscess, what is your typical port of call for treatment and care for that? Okay. Let me back up a little bit and go oh, back sorry. to the exam. So the history fits that of an abscess. Uh, the bounding digital pulses support that. Uh, I find something on the bottom of the foot. Usually, not always, but the vast majority of the time, I'll see some kind of abnormality on the bottom of the foot that 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 leads to suspicion that this is where the problem started. Before I do that, especially if the history is this horse has been lame for three or four days, in as part of my exam, I'll also uh, palpate the coronet band, the entire coronet band from heel bulb all the way around the heel bulb. Very, very, uh, very, I don't want to say aggressively, but I apply a lot of pressure either with the tip of my index finger or my thumb. The reason I do that is if the horse was sound yesterday and it's lame today, uh, very likely in my practice, that's going to be a subsolar abscess. If it's been going on for a few days, then that abscess will start the process of, of, of resolving. Uh, the horse will begin to resolve it by allowing the abscess or the abscess will continue to grow in size and then it'll start to track up uh, the, the, the hoof wall and head towards the cornet band, which is the, the path of least resistance. And they'll pop out usually after five or six days at the cornet band if they're not drained from the bottom. And if I can find an area of, an area of very uh, focal sensitivity at the cornet band, then I can follow the direction of the horn tubules from that point down to the bottom of the foot. And more often than not, if I look right there in the white line, I'll see that dirt spot or I'll find uh, an area where bacteria gained access. Um, and, and so that's a, another, another thing that I do when I'm looking at these guys. So um, I'm looking at a horse. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much convinced that it's got a subsolar abscess. I see a tract. I want to try to treat that. How do I proceed? And I have uh, some very small loop hoof knives and I have uh, picks and, and bone curettes, which are like little tiny, tiny, mini uh, ice cream scoops and that sort of thing. And usually what I'll do is I'll begin to just excavate or cut down on that tract, T-R-A-C-T, that, that dirt spot, and I'll follow it. And if it ends, then I stop digging. If it ends, then it's, it's done. It's very superficial. That's not the thing. If that is the root or the cause of the abscess, more often than not, I can continue to follow that until I encounter pus. And so my goal there is to open that abscess up, if I can, from the bottom of the foot and allow the pressure to be relieved. A lot of, a lot of people, a lot of horse owners, a lot of just people in general who deal with horses every day don't understand what's going on with an abscess and why it causes pain, why it causes such excruciating pain in the horse. And um, because there are bacteria involved, people think it's an active infection. It's actually not bacterial infection that causes the pain in a horse that has a foot abscess. What causes the pain is uh, in, in the normal situation, there is no space between the hoof capsule or the sole and the corium. So you've got the laminar corium and the sole corium, and if it's a frog abscess, the frog corium. Everything there, those two sides are, are sandwiched together and adhered very tightly. There's no space there normally. But once bacteria gain access to the interior of the hoof capsule, they begin replicating, they begin multiplying, 
many of those, if not most of those uh, abscesses that are bacteria that cause subcellular abscesses are anaerobic bacteria, meaning they don't need oxygen to survive, and they tend to produce gas. And as they are reproducing and producing gas, it starts to create a space between the corium and the hoof capsule where none existed before. Now, at the same time, the body recognizes that, hey, we got foreign invaders here. We need to fight this off. So the body is sending uh, white blood cells into that mix and also uh, inflammatory mediators and, and things that uh, are meant to uh, fight the bacteria, if you will. Well, that results in the production of pus. So pus is part bacteria and part body fluid that is in there trying to clear up uh, that bacterial invasion. So you've got this growing accumulation of pus and gas in an area where there was not a space before. And as it expands, it detaches, if you will, or, 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 or causes a separation between the sensitive corium and the hoof capsule. And it is that pressure on the corium that causes the pain. That's the whole reason for the pain in, in the vast majority of horses with abscesses. That's why if you have a horse that's diagnosed with an abscess and someone's able to open it up and drain it, that horse might go from non-weight-bearing lame to walking sound in 24 hours. That wouldn't happen if you had infected soft tissue or infected bone or something like that. It wouldn't happen that quickly. It's purely the pressure exerted by that growing uh, accumulation of pus and, and bacteria inside the hoof capsule that causes the pain. And that's one of the reasons why, uh, in my experience, phenobutazone uh, or banamine, as typical non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs we use in horses all the time, don't usually help a horse. They don't usually relieve the pain or the lameness in a horse that has a subcellular abscess because it's that pressure exerted on the corium that causes the pain. And the non-steroidals don't touch that. Until you relieve that pressure, there's not going to be a lot of relief. And that's why I, as a veterinarian, if I can, and I can't always, but if I can, I choose to go ahead and drain those things and relieve that pressure because I know that patient's going to be uh, markedly more comfortable within 12 to 24 hours. Yeah. And so that's, that's the crux of it. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to drain it. So what do we do after I've opened this up, thing up and drained it? I have a hole on the bottom of the foot. The horse walks with his, the bottom of his foot in contact with the ground, in contact with dirt, in contact with manure. What am I going to do with that hole in the bottom of the hoof? Well, I have to protect it somehow. And there are all kinds of different ways you can do that. You can put boots or you can put a boot on the horse. You can put a duct tape bandage on the horse. You can do this, that, and the other thing. What I do is I take a piece of cotton, um, depending on how deep and, and how uh, large the cavity that I've created in the process of opening up that abscess is, um, usually it's about a half a cotton ball, half a standard cotton ball. And I'll just wet that thing down with uh, povidone iodine solution, betadine solution, and I'll jam it in that hole. And what that does is the cotton is actually quite porous. If I put it in that hole wet, as it dries, it will, will kind of wedge itself in that defect in the hoof. And that will prevent dirt and debris and other yucky stuff from getting uh, packed into that hole that I've created and coming into contact with the corium, which is not a good idea. But at the same time, it's porous enough that the pressure will be allowed to release through that cotton. And now I've opened it up, it's drained, and now I put the cotton in, it will continue to drain for a few days, but not very much volume. And then that's it. That's what I do. Make sure the horse is up to date on its tetanus toxoid. And, uh, and that's it. There you go. The vast majority of them, that's all you need to do. I'll ask the owner if they're capable, and most of them are capable. If they can pick up, a, a, pick up a foot and, and pick it out and brush it off, then I will ask them 
okay, once a day for the next five days, I want you to pull this cotton ball out and replace it with an identical cotton ball. And just do that every day for five days. And then after the fifth day, leave it in place. And uh, the farrier or the, or the, or the trimmer will, will encounter it the next time the horse has its hoofs trimmed. By then, the whole problem will be resolved and, uh, and you're good to go. Now, veterinarians tend to, most veterinarians, tend to be much more aggressive in the way they treat them. Very often, they'll ask the owner to soak the hoof in some sort of solution, more often than not, some Epsom salt solution, something like that. They'll want them to poultice the, uh, the open area. They'll want to keep uh, a, a, a some kind of protective bandage or wrap or uh, maybe a, a, a boot uh, over a dressing, and they want to do that for 10 days or two weeks or so and keep the horse in the stall and da-da-da. And, and I believe... Uh, I believe that's overkill. I don't have a problem with that, but it's a lot more work than you need to do. Um, and I think it's counterproductive to take a horse with a subsolar abscess and put it in a stall because once I put that piece of cotton in there, I want that guy out moving around. Every time he bears pressure on that foot, and he's going to do that more and more uh, in, the, in 12 to 24 hours, every time he exerts pressure on that foot, he's helping to discharge that pus and that drainage and all that stuff and push it out that hole that I made in the bottom of the foot. Uh, and so I think it's important that they have the opportunity to start moving around as soon as they, they want to. Yeah. And that's what I've always heard too, is get them moving to get everything out of the foot that's, you know, infected. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so if you have that hole in the bottom of the foot that the abscess is draining out of, do you worry about a secondary infection and, or no. is that why you pack it? No, that's why I pack it. What will happen sometimes, very rarely, but sometimes that cotton will become dislodged uh, inadvertently, and the horse will then have uh, dirt pack into that hole. And when dirt gets tightly packed up into that hole, uh, if the abscess has not run its course, it's not finished draining, then what will happen is the horse will get acutely lame again. In which case, if the owner calls me that situation as well, lost the cotton, he got a bunch of dirt in there, and now he's, he's back to lame again. Well, it's because we've stopped the drainage and the pressure has built up again. And it's, again, it's the pressure that's causing the, the pain. So take a hoof pick, gently pick that out, soak the foot to get that dirt plug out of that hole. Drainage will be reestablished, and then the horse will be fine again. More often than not, that's the case. Um, I would say, too, that the cotton ball trick works great. For those abscesses that you open up uh, in the white line or in the bars, because usually in the process of, of excavating that, opening that up, you're going to make a fairly deep defect in the bottom of the hoof. It's not unusual for that to be uh, three quarters of an inch or an inch uh, deep into the hoof capsule before I open the abscess proper up and actually get some drainage. It depends on sole thickness, obviously. But if I have a stone laceration or a puncture wound in the sole, I can't open up the sole. I don't create a deep enough defect in the sole to do the same thing with a cotton. In that case, I'll usually just put a beta guide solution in a, in a cotton ball or a gauze pad or something over the defect and then put a duct tape wrap. Or if the owner has a boot, put a boot on the horse. Oh, that works. That cotton ball trick works great in the white line of bars, but it doesn't work very well in the sole. You know, owners seem to generally understand that the abscess is caused by bacteria. And a question I get very, very often is, do we need to put this horse on antibiotics? And my answer overwhelmingly is, is no, not always. But the vast majority of the time, uh, my answer is no, because it's not an infected soft tissue problem. It's just this pocket that's creating pressure against the corium. And once that pressure is relieved, 
the problem's over. My analogy is it's a zit. It's a zit. Pop it and it's gone. It's done. Okay. Just protect the corium uh, until it has a chance to heal. And I should men- I should touch on that briefly too when I'm done with this rant. There's so much to talk about. We could talk about subsolar abscesses for two weeks. But um, antibiotics are generally not indicated. If I get to the point, and I don't, I, I rarely radiograph horses' feet when I'm dealing with a subsolar abscess because it's just straightforward. It's straight up. It is what it is. And um, if the horse doesn't respond, uh, then if I have to look at him again, I might then radiograph him, especially with a stone laceration, because there can be something else going on. But when I see him initially, I don't tend to radiograph him. I don't tend to put them on the antibiotics. Um, some some people um, will put their horse on antibiotics if they think it has a, a subsolar abscess. I know of some veterinarians that will do that. I'm opposed to that because uh, the, the the antibiotic concentration in that pool of pus inside the hoof capsule never gets high enough to eliminate it. What it can do sometimes is it kind of slow down the progression or the maturation of that abscess. And so uh, the horse may look some better while it's on antibiotics, but then once you stop the antibiotics, it comes roaring back. And so you're just delaying the inevitable by putting the horse on antibiotics. And this is with just a straight up garden variety um, uh, subsolar abscess. We don't have any any kind of soft tissue infection or no bone infection or anything like that. Those are completely different different topics. Um, and owners will ask me about non-steroidals. And like I said earlier, my experience has been that if the horse has a subsolar abscess that has not been drained, the pressure's not been relieved, then, then non-steroidals don't tend to improve the comfort of the horse at all. And as a matter of fact, um, it's not uncommon. Maybe once or twice a year, I'll be faced with a horse and I'm looking at it and I'm going, this looks like an abscess, it smells like an abscess, it tastes like an abscess, but I can't find a defect in the white line or the bars or the bottom of the foot. I can't find a track to open up and try to drain this abscess. I'm 99% sure it's an abscess, or 90, let me say 90% sure it's an abscess, but not 100% sure. Um, in, in that instance, <clears throat> very often I'll ask the owner to put the horse on butte for two days. Put the horse on butte for two days, call me and tell me what happens. If they call me in two days and they go, oh, he's markedly better, then that was not an abscess, unless an abscess has popped out at the coronet band since I saw the horse. More often than not, I'm dealing with a bad stone bruise or something like that. If they say after two days, no, it didn't make any difference, he's still as lame, that's an abscess. That is an abscess, you know, or a fractured coffin bone. But fractured coffin bones are, are much less common in my practice uh, than an abscess. And so... Um, don't tend to don't tend to medicate them with anything after the fact. One exception: occasionally I'll have an abscess that arises uh, from the white line in the toe region, and it's been cooking for a while. And for whatever reason, instead of tracking straight up the dorsal hoof wall and popping out at the coronet band in the middle of the foot, it will decide to go rogue and migrate backwards towards the back of the foot. And what happens with those guys is it lifts the entire sole and frog off of the corium and then pops out over the heel bulbs. And those horses, when the abscess pops out, they don't get comfortable within 24 hours. Um, they will be sore for seven or eight days because um, the entire bottom of the foot basically is detached from the corium. And now, every time they walk, they're pushing that, that sensitive corium down on that, uh, that detached sole and frog. And, and that causes them pain. I will put those horses on butte, but I can tell the owners, look, this is going to take seven or eight days for the process of cornification, which I want to talk about very briefly afterwards, to occur. And once that occurs, then this horse is going to be comfortable. And not the next hoof trim, but the one after that, 
the farrier is going to lift the whole frog and sole right off of the whole, off the bottom of the foot, and underneath you're going to have brand new sole and frog that has replaced it. Right. All right. So this question, I I feel like I get this question a lot. Um, do you see health? I mean, other than puncture wounds, do you see healthy hooves getting abscesses? Not often. Not often. And I would add to healthy hooves, Alicia, I would say healthy, well-maintained hooves. So what causes what causes a weakness in the connectivity uh, of the white line? And if you ask that question, you know, it's like, what, what can cause the white line uh, to become more susceptible to invasion? And it's going to be a defect in the white line. And, and examples that I see very often is in the neglected overgrown hoof, where the hoof wall flares away as it as it reaches the ground and, and continues to grow, it, it flares. You've got a, a hoof wall flare anywhere. Uh, anywhere you see that, it's going to cause an increase in the mechanical forces that are pulling the hoof wall away from the sole. And between the hoof wall and the sole is the white line. So anything that increases that mechanical force is going to weaken or stretch or open that white line. That's going to make the horse more susceptible to abscesses. So I see it very commonly in that situation. Uh, it might be a, a quote-unquote normal healthy hoof that's just neglected. The second uh, most common pl- reason I'll see it is secondary to laminitis. We see a lot of laminitis here, and so I see a lot of P3 rotation, a lot of stretched white lines. When that white line is stretched, because of the rotation of, of the coffin bone, secondary to a laminitic event, it does the same thing. It kind of pulls that, the, that junction apart and, and creates a weak spot where it's more likely for uh, bacteria to gain access to the inside of the hoof capsule. I think that's the number one reason why it's really not unusual four to six weeks after a pretty significant laminitic episode to see the horse get really lame on one foot uh, and you find out, oh, it's a subsolar abscess. It's, it's something that, that damages the integrity of the white line uh, is the most common thing I see. And I was asked once, uh, I think a student presented a paper at, at, at a rounds we were having, and the paper concluded that horses, barefoot horses, are more likely to develop subsolar abscesses than shod horses. And one of the internal medicine people looked at me, because everybody here knows I'm a foot guy, and she said, they know I'm a barefoot guy. She said, uh, well, Neil, has that been your experience? And I thought about it for a moment, and I said, no, not in well-maintained hooves. Because if we maintain those hooves, we keep them well-proportioned and well-balanced, and we keep the flares worked off of them, we're mitigating those abnormal mechanical forces that are driving uh, that that change in the white line that allows bacteria to gain access through a less-than-perfect white line. And the other side of the coin is, too, uh, I see not infrequently in shod horses, I see nail hole abscesses, uh, where an abscess is developed where a nail has been driven. It doesn't mean the nail was poorly driven. It could have been driven fine. But as the hoof, uh, particularly the, the heels of the hoof in a shod horse, continue desperately to try to expand and contract, uh, there's kind of a sawing effect of uh, the hoof wall on a rigid nail that doesn't want to move. And eventually you can open up um, the, the, the hoof wall, if you will, and, and bacteria can invade again into that, that space in, in the interior of the hoof capsule and start an abscess. I've never seen, obviously, a nail hole abscess in an unshod horse, in a barefoot horse, but I see them in shod horses with some regularity. Right. Yeah, and I guess, you know, something that I'll often t- talk about with my owners in terms of creating a strong white line connection is also proper diet. Oh. Um, yes. And I don't know if that's something that you 
talk about in terms of preventing abscesses or if you see that as important as well? I include that just in my talk on hoof health, Alicia. That is, and, and that's one of the things I try to instill in the students here. It seems that in veterinary medicine, we have this laser focus on the issue. And the issue today is a subsolar abscess. And that's what, what all our attention is on. And I tell them that it's fine. Uh, it's fine to do that uh, for a bit, but then back up, back up and look at the whole picture. Look at the horse's body condition. Look for evidence of equine metabolic syndrome. Look for evidence of insulin dysregulation. Look for evidence of PPID. Ask about the diet. Ask about the lifestyle because all of that is responsible directly for hoof health. And if something's out of whack with that, uh, I preach to them. You can do whatever you want, particularly with laminated horses. You can do whatever you want to the hoof. But if you don't identify the triggers and eliminate the triggers that are driving that pathology, you're wasting your time. You're wasting the client's money. So how do these things heal? And um, a lot of a lot of farriers, a lot of veterinarians, when they open up abscesses, they'll make a big honking hole in the bottom of the foot because they'll say, I want good drainage. I want to establish good drainage. You don't have to do that because unlike the soft tissue, if I get a horse with an abscess, say, in, in its uh, cheek, and that is going to expand, expand, expand. If I make a hole in there and drain it, then I'm going to have to make a pretty big hole because that tissue will begin to heal almost immediately. And it's possible for the, the drainage hole that I've made to close up before it's done healing and, and it's done draining and done healing from the inside out. And people tend to think uh, about things like that when they're working on the hoof capsule. What they fail to realize is that hoof capsule doesn't heal. If you get a crack in the hoof wall, it doesn't grow back together. If I make a hole in the bottom of the foot, it's not going to grow closed. Once I do that, it's permanent. And the body heals the hoof by replacing it. And so I don't need a big hole. I just need a hole big enough to relieve the pressure and get the drainage out of there. So I intentionally make those holes as small as possible. Once that's drained, once that uh, the, the, the bacteria, the pus, everything's out of there, what happens? How does that heal? Well, if you look inside an abscess, and sometimes you can, most of the time you can't, but if you look inside the abscess you've immediately opened, you'll see um, the corium. It'll be bright red. It'll be fleshy looking. If you just lightly touch it with your fingertip or with a cotton Q-tip, anything, that horse will react because that hurts. It's like ripping your fingernail off and then touching quick. It's very, very painful. Well, within five, no, more like seven or eight days, um, that corium, that corium, excuse me, will go through a process uh, whereby it, it starts to cornify. And all cornify really means is that it goes from being red and fleshy and very sensitive to being kind of tan or yellowish and not so sensitive. What's actually happening? It's, it's not a change in the corium. That's new soul, uh, new horn that the corium is growing. And once that new horn fills in and that corium that was previously exposed is completely covered up, then you don't have to worry about the cotton ball anymore because if dirt gets packed up in there, it's not going to go anywhere. You've got a nice protective layer of new horn there. And, and that's how they heal. They, don't, they, they heal by replacement. And again, so if I open up an abscess and um, I, I drain it and the horse gets better and everything's fine, not the next hoof trim, but the one after that, the trimmer is going to be trimming along and all of a sudden there's going to be this big opening in the sole. And, and if you're not ready for it, it kind of takes your breath away sometimes. And inside of that's going to be some inspissated kind of stinky, usually black or dark gray pus. That's the after effect. That's, that's history. That's not what's happening right now. So everything deep to that is new horn that is, is, is replaced the, the, the defective part. 
Do you ever see abscesses that end up turning into like osteomyelitis or a coffin bone infection? I do. I do. There's a couple of things that I see, and I want to really emphasize that those are very rare. I, I can count on one hand the number of, of those types of cases that I've seen in, in 33 years of practice. Um, they're not that common, and that's kind of a worst-case scenario, but it happens so infrequently. If, I, if I've seen four of them in 33 years, uh, and during that time I've seen 3,000 subsolar abscesses, wow. The incidence of that happening is very, very low. But that's what I start thinking about. If I have a horse that looks like it's got a garden variety abscess and I treat it and it doesn't, it, it doesn't resolve, it gets worse. So I'm going to jump on that pretty quickly looking for that. Realize, and, and, and I would like to emphasize this as well, we as veterinarians are very quick to, to take x-rays and that sort of thing, which is fine, um, in my opinion, very often unnecessary. But if we're talking about bone infection, um, it takes a minimum of two weeks for bone to change on an x-ray. So if I'm looking at a horse that's acutely lame with an abscess and I take an x-ray of it today, barring a, a, an incidental fracture or something like that, the coffin bone should look perfectly normal. Now, that doesn't tell me what it's going to look like in two weeks. So uh, it, it's not very helpful for me to take an x-ray of the horse uh, on day one. If it doesn't respond, if it doesn't resolve, that's going to be part of my backup plan. I'm going to come back and look at that again later. Um, I don't mind taking radiographs, but I don't like taking them unnecessarily. If they're not, if the information contained in that radiograph is not going to change the prognosis or my treatment plan, then I'd rather not spend the money on it. However, the one exception is with these stone lacerations. If they occur near the periphery of the foot, in the sole near the periphery of the foot, I have seen several of those that will chip a little piece of bone off the coffin bone. And as a part of the process of that soul being opened up, and now you've got this little chip of bone, this little chunk of bone, it's usually a very small, that size of piece of pea gravel, um, that is no longer attached to the parent bone. It doesn't have uh, a blood supply anymore. Sometimes that can get infected, uh, or it will act as a nidus for infection, which means it'll keep the infection there. Those horses typically, once you open the abscess and drain it, typically they don't get better. And so if I have a horse with a stone laceration and I don't radiograph it on day one, which I normally don't, I'm going to tell the owner, if this guy's not walking sound in two to three days, call me back and we'll take some radiographs because there's a possibility we have a little bone fragment off there, a little bone chip. And we call that a sequestrum. It's just a piece of bone that gets broken off from the parent bone and it won't heal back. Um, they have to be removed. It's usually not a big deal, but but that's uh, that's uh, that's a possibility with something like that. As far as my concerns over a routine garden variety abscess spreading to the coffin bone is very, very, very minimal, very minimal. I don't stay awake at night worrying about things like that. It's just not that common. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I've actually only heard of it once and it was um, a friend's horse who had, you know, a, a whole host of issues and he yeah. had a lot of hoof issues. So, um, yeah, right. Awesome. And I guess, you know, typically, Typically, I end the episode with asking if you have any advice for owners or hoof care providers about treating abscesses, preventing abscesses, or anything you want to add. No, I think just um, treat your horse like a horse. Treat your horse according to its evolutionary history and maintain its feet. Realize that for most of us in the U.S., we have to trim the horse's feet because the horse is, is in an environment where hoof growth almost always exceeds hoof wear. And, and so keep those hooves maintained uh, and, and you're less likely to have problems with abscesses and that sort of thing. 
Uh, there's no guarantee that you'll never have one, but if you can prevent laminitis, if you can maintain your hooves well, uh, if you cannot overfeed your horse on starch and sugar and stuff like that, then you're much less likely to have uh, issues with, with subsolar abscesses. But at the same time, realize they're very, very common, and usually they're a minor thing. They're scary because they take this 1,100-pound animal and turn it into a cripple, and that's frightening. But at the same time, uh, I always tell owners when I look at a severely lame horse and diagnose and, and drain a subcellular abscess, I tell them, this is what we want it to be. This is the most likely, uh, this is the thing that's most likely to completely resolve and never be an issue again. Uh, and so it's it's good to find a subsolar abscess. It's a lot better than a fractured coffin bone or, a, or a, an infected coffin joint or something like that. Uh, it, it's it's not a big deal. It seems like a big deal, but it's really not a big deal. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, I know. It's always when you see your horse that lame, you're like, I just hope it's not a fracture. You're At that yes. point, you're just excited. It's, it's an abscess. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And and there are there are instances where I have made, misdiagnosed something a bit more sinister, have misdiagnosed it as a subsolar abscess. But if I guess abscess, when it sounds like abscess, I'm going to be right 99% of the time. And I'm never right 100% of the time. I never have been. I never will be. Right. I don't think anybody can be, right? No. As far as as far as treating them, yeah, I, I I've encountered um it seems like it occurs in certain groups of trimmers, kinda of depends on which which barefoot camp you're in. Uh some of them say uh a hoof trimmer should never attempt to open a subsolar abscess because they, they consider it veterinary surgery. Um and and I don't agree with that. The reason I don't agree with that is that, in my opinion, my experience, in order to classify a procedure as surgery, I think, okay, number one, there has to be blood loss involved. And number two, you're going to have to have some kind of anesthesia to perform that, right? But if I open up a subsolar abscess and I do it correctly, there should be no blood loss and the horse should not experience any pain. If I do it correctly, now, if I get a little close to the corium and I click the horse and I get a little bit of blood, that might happen. But um, that's different than performing surgery. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't talk or try to talk any tremor who's uncomfortable doing that into doing it. But at the same time, um, understand that, that there are, well, there's at least one of us out here that, that doesn't think that that's off limit. If you are experienced, if you have guidance, if someone who knows how to do that has walked you through that process a couple of times, I would never advise anybody to go blindly hacking into a foot. And that's, uh, you've got to know when to say when as well. And I do that. I was a veterinarian who's seen thousands of subcellular abscesses. If I'm digging on the foot or I found, a, I found an area on the foot that seems to be, this is where the abscess is. If I do not see a defect or an abnormality in the bottom of that foot, I will never go blindly cutting into normal healthy soul because no good can come from that. And I'll tell the owner, uh, I still think it's an abscess, but I don't see a clear cut way or, or, or place to pursue this uh, with my knife. So we're going to wait. We're going to soak this foot. Might put a poultice around the coronet band. In that case, let's 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 try to uh, hasten its uh, its travel up the hoof wall to pop out of the cornet, man, I'd rather do that than open up a hole in the bottom of the foot unnecessarily. That leads me nowhere. So I'm very comfortable saying, no, it's here. I can't find it. I'm not going to first do no harm, right? I'm not going to cause any damage going on a wild goose chase looking for an abscess I may not find. 
Awesome. Yeah. And I think all this is great. I've learned some stuff too. So thank you so much for chatting with me. Um, yeah. All right. Well, thank all you right. again so much for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed it. It was fun. Yeah. And uh, yeah, thanks for, thanks for thinking of me. Thanks for inviting me and uh, had fun. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, uh, have a good rest of your day. You too. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.